Uh, I just want to say, uh, before we get into our text, thank you to our men's ministry. We had a great men's retreat this, this past uh, weekend, Friday and Saturday. Uh, so thankful for Jared Ramsey and Josh Evans, Nigel Hayhurst, um, uh, and Clint Pollard uh, for serving so, so faithfully and putting together such a great uh, men's retreat. Uh, it was uh, truly refreshing, and I pray that all those that uh, attended uh, would take what it is that was put before us as a challenge and apply it into uh, our daily lives. And for these that um, uh, gathered this morning that weren't able to make it, I pray that next year that you would find yourself available to, to be there. Uh, it truly was a, a blessing, and I'm grateful for their leadership, and I'm grateful for uh, their service. This morning, we will continue on in our sermon series looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about anxiety, but before we talk about anxiety, I want to talk about sandcastles. There's an there's a individual who is on a beach. He's kind of a local celebrity uh, in Rio de Janeiro, and his name is King Marcio, and King Marcio uh, lives in a sandcastle on a beach in Rio de Janeiro. And he has a throne right outside of this 32-square-foot sandcastle. He has a crown and a scepter that he wears. And individuals that come, they, they take pictures with, with King Marcio, as he is known, and they take pictures of this sandcastle and in King Marcio's mind, he, he, he's really living the good life. Individuals pay exorbitant amounts of money to live in the apartments and the condos there facing the ocean. They're on the beach of Rio de Janeiro. And what looks like an individual who's kind of circumvented the ways of the world to find peace and, and happiness, when you talk to him, his day is actually filled with constant, tedious work. You see, the sand, if it is not watered continuously, it dries up and it begins to crumble. When storms come, it cannot withstand the storm, and so he's had to rebuild over and over and over. And there's no insulation, and so in the summer months when it gets extremely hot, he can't even stay in there, and he has to either go and pay for a hotel or he stays at a friend's house. And how often do we find ourselves... Maintaining this sandcastle of life and status, constantly running, getting water because it is starting to crumble and it is starting to dry up. And what seems like is actually freedom becomes a ball and a chain. It becomes a space that we can't even live in. It's a space that we can't even dwell in. It's a space that provides no true comfort and relaxation because if we don't continue to maintain it, every moment of every day, it crumbles into nothing. Jesus will address 
the reality that the inclination of our lives is to build these sandcastles that don't weather any storm, that don't provide any true peace or comfort or resolution to the struggles and the problems of this world and force us to continue to go and work as a slave to a false picture of freedom that is really nothing more than a ball in a chain. If we're being honest with ourselves, isn't that what anxiety looks like? Oh, no, the sand is starting to dry up a little bit. Turrets are starting to cave in. I got to go get another bucket of water. It's up to me, but, but my bucket now has holes in it. And so what am I going to do about this? How am I going to keep this false picture of freedom? How am I going to keep it upright? We become filled with anxiety and worry and fear and stress. This morning, we find ourselves in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 34, in a message that I've entitled, Unchained from the Sandcastle of Anxiety. I pray that today that there are individuals who find themselves constantly trying to maintain the sandcastle for the world to look at and perceive this false beauty and this false peace and this false freedom, all the while running and getting bucket after bucket after bucket to try to maintain this, this illusion. For the world to look at and think like King Marcio sitting upon his throne with this fake crown and this fake scepter and this fake smile. To be freed from all of that. And to know that Jesus gives us something so much better than a sandcastle that we have to maintain. And that is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. God's word says... Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. A better translation is mammon. You may have a translation that says mammon. It's not just money. It's it's talking about materialism. It's talking about the, the, the ways and the status of the world. You can't serve God and the world. There's different currencies that we find in the various kingdoms. There's the kingdom of the flesh and the kingdom of the earth, and its primary currency is materialism. It's, it's power. It's, it's money. It's status. It's the perception that other individuals have of you. You cannot serve that kingdom And God, today, many of us are going to have to make a choice. It's a choice between life and death. It's a choice between blessing and curse. It's a choice to get off of the fence, to to stop straddling both sides of these two kingdoms and to commit fully one to the other because you cannot serve God and the world. 
Verse 25, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. That's easier said than done, isn't it? What you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Here's the key to this passage. But seek first the kingdom of God, not the sandcastles of the world, but the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And may God bless the reading of his word. May it empower us as we apply it to our lives to be unchained from the sandcastles of anxiety. I pray that today you put your bucket down and you pick your cross up. One brings peace and joy and fulfillment. And the other brings heartache and pain and worry and fear and anxiety. As we look at this passage of Scripture, there's really four components that Jesus is bringing into our focus for us to be able to deal uh, with the reality that many of us deal with on a daily basis, a weekly basis that we have dealt with at various times and in various ways throughout our lives, and that's anxiety, worry, fear, the things that begin to, to, to choke us, the things that begin to, to take our minds, and uh, we are consumed with these various things. Jesus says that ultimately the answer is to seek first the kingdom of God to abandon the sandcastles of life and to rest solely in the finished work of Jesus. He doesn't call us to go and grab bucket after bucket for his kingdom. His work is finished. It has been completed. It has been done. It is not going to crumble. We don't have to worry that it will not provide the comfort and the joy and the peace for us that a sandcastle built by our own hands and maintained by our own work can never afford us. And the first component that that he shows us is that for us to be unchained from the sandcastles of anxiety, we must first be unchained by the investment of our heart. Just as all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus wants to make this a heart issue because that is what it is. He starts off by having us look at verses 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's saying this is a a matter of our hearts. 
that this is a, a heart matter and the first thing that we must do to be unchained from the sand castles of anxiety is to look where our treasure is because where our treasure is, our heart will be. And if our treasure is here on the earth, then we're going to be concerned with all of the earthly matters that the enemy uses to get us to run and grab bucket after bucket after bucket to maintain because those earthly things are starting to crumble because it is starting to dry out and starting to cave in on itself. And the illusion and the scheme and the temptation that the enemy gives us is that we can control it. If we just get enough water, if we just stay involved enough, by the sweat of our brow, we can maintain what it is that is caving in all around us. Ultimately, what Jesus is saying is you can invest your heart in the temporal or the eternal. You can invest all of your time, all of your energy, all of your focus, all of your talents, all of your treasures, all of your resources, all of your abilities. You can invest it in the here and now, forsaking the eternal, or you can understand that what God has called us to is far more worthy to devote all of those other things to than what the world offers us here on this earth. It's where we invest our heart. Is it in the temporal or is it in the eternal? And what he says is that it makes no sense to devote all of those energies and resources to the, the earthly. Because treasures here on earth, moth and rust can destroy and thieves can break in and steal. It's transient. Now, you think about this. You think about the things in the days of Jesus you think about this small little insect, a moth, and how much devastation that it could do to the clothing of a house. And listen, clothing for them wasn't a fashion statement. They, they needed it for, for sustenance. They needed it uh, to keep them warm when it was cold, to keep them cool. It, it was something that, that, that they needed to cover their, their naked body. We see that there are times where the spoils of war were, were clothing because it held such value. And individuals couldn't even stop a small insect from destroying it. Read the book of Joel. It is all about a swarm of locusts that have come and devastated Israel to the point they're in a great famine. And we think that we can control life when little insects can bring such devastation that it brings the, 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 the world to their knees because there's a lack of food. We spend so much time going in bucket after bucket after bucket, thinking that we're in control. And in reality, insects can destroy everything. Or thieves that can break in. And the, the, the picture in, is not uh, break into a house the way it, it's actually digging through. It's kind of the picture of the four men that brought themselves to Jesus. They were digging through the roof to lower Jesus. That oftentimes great treasures were kind of hidden in, in, in walls or in various areas. And they would dig through the walls of this house to find the treasure that, that is hidden in there. 
It's a picture of the earthly kingdom and the heavenly kingdom. What are we digging through, trying to find? Are we digging through this, this world, trying to find uh, earthly treasures? Or are we digging through the roof, knowing that the greatest treasure is Jesus, and the greatest thing we can do is bring other people to him? If we could just get to Jesus. Is it, if I could just get, get more of this, whatever this is, or is it, I just need more of Jesus? That's the picture. But here on earth, we, we see that moth and rust can destroy. Thieves can break in and steal. And we can either invest our heart in the temporary or the eternal. Jesus says it's wiser for us to invest in the eternal. Think about this, Isaiah 61, verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. He said, store for your treasures in heaven where moth, they, they, they can't destroy. Moths can't destroy the robe of righteousness. Nothing temporal can destroy the garments of salvation that Jesus has given us through faith in his redeeming, atoning work on the cross. Why stress? Why worry? Why continue to build a castle that can crumble by a moth or an insect devouring it when I have given you a robe of righteousness where no moth or rust can destroy? Another thing that was so important to them in the days of Jesus that, that could be devoured by, by moth or by insects were scrolls, were title deeds. Every... Uh, 50 years, they would have the year of Jubilee where land rights would go back to the rightful owners that had, had been loaned out. And you had to present this scroll. If, if that got devoured by an insect, the loss of that is huge. If somebody owed you and you, you had a, a bill of sale on a scroll and it got e eaten, you had no proof to bring before a judge to say this individual owes me this money. Revelation 21, 27 says this, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. No moth can destroy the Lamb's book of life. The title deed of the earth that, that we read about Jesus opening in Revelation 5, no moth can get in heaven and destroy that. The plan of God is secure. Why would we devote all of our time and energy and efforts to something that a moth and an insect could destroy, that a thief could break in and steal, when God has promised us something far greater in heaven where no moth or rust can destroy and no thief can break in and steal? First Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now listen to this treasure. That God says we ought to be devoting our time, our energy, our resources, our abilities to this treasure. This inheritance is imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, it's kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. No thief can break in and steal away that which has been safely secured by the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So where are you investing your heart? That sandcastle, 
that requires constant maintenance and provides no comfort, peace, and joy for the kingdom of God that cannot be shaken. Earthly treasures where moth and rust can destroy and thieves can break in and steal. Or heavenly treasures where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. What happens if one day somebody comes and says, the dollar is worthless? There'll be a day where everything we work so hard to build up, those elaborate sandcastles we present to the world, will crumble and fall in on themselves because they will not withstand the storm. But there is a refuge, and his name is Jesus. And when we build our lives upon his foundation, we are safe and we are secure. Secondly, he, he goes on to say in verses 22 through 24 uh, that the eye is a lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? For us to be unchained from the sandcastles of anxiety, it's not just to be unchained from the investment of our heart in the earthly things, but uh, for us to have uh, to uh, be unchanged, unchained by the influence of your eye. What are you? What are you looking at? What are you? What are you looking to? What are you focusing in on? He said, "If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be healthy." Really, uh, the better translation is, "If your eye is single in nature." it has a singular focus in nature, then your whole body will be healthy or your whole body will follow and will in turn have a singular focus as well. But if your eye is bad or double-minded or if your eye is looking at the things of this world and viewing them as equivalent to the things of God and you say that the darkness is actually light, then how deep is the darkness in your own body? You see, our eyes are what uh, take light in and uh, bring into to our body. And so the question is, what, what, what are you looking at? What is your focus? Is it singular in nature? Do you have one eye on, on the sandcastles of life and one eye on, on the Lord? Or are you singular in your focus looking at God saying, listen, come what may with all the things that are around. Like, like Peter when he first stepped out onto the seas that were in turmoil looking at Jesus. Walking upon those waves, not distracted by them. Or have you taken your eyes off Jesus and started to look at the storm all around? Oh, we read the news we see the things that are happening, and our feelings start to well up inside of us. The emotions start to overtake us, and, and we're looking at everything other than Jesus. Where's our focus? We're unchained from these sandcastles by the influence of our eye. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, who is the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You know what the joy is that was set before him? It's us. It's the church. 
It's all the saints that will gather having been cleansed by his blood. He went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. You are the joy that was set before him when he was on the cross, enduring and not despising the shame that came along with it because he had you in his mind. Look to him. Looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. This idea in Greek, this word consider, is to weigh. It's to put weight. It's, it's, it's to look at the, the weight of Christ. And if we do that, the things of the world grow strangely dim. What was once held in such high priority and esteem no longer seems to have the value or the importance that it once had on our lives. Oh, we seem to get this when we're in the pit, don't we? When things are stripped away from us, when loved ones are in the hospital, We don't see the importance of running and grabbing a pail of water to make sure those sandcastles we've been working on stand. No, no, no. We understand the importance of God and his word and his truth. And the things that once held such weight in our eyes, they no longer have that allure. The problem is sometimes... When we see God answer that, we start to lose focus and the things of the world begin to take greater occupancy in our mind and our eye than it did before. Second Corinthians 3.18 says this, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You, you notice that? The transformation comes from where he's looking at. Beholding the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed. Where's your focus right now? Well, there's so much that the world just pulls at us we fret and we worry over, look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. I think oftentimes I find myself like the disciples in Mark chapter 8. If you're familiar with the Gospels in Mark chapter 8, Jesus has been ministering to a multitude of individuals. And he's been uh, doing so for, for three days. And it says that he's moved with compassion because he says, I, I see their need. They're hungry. We'll get to this here in just a second. I, I see their need. Listen, Jesus sees your need. The temptation of the enemy is to doubt that God cares about you, sees where you're at, sees your struggle, and can do anything about it. It says he's moved with compassion. He says, I see their need. Have them sit down and let's feed them chicken biscuits from Chick-fil-A. Guarantee you that's what manna is. The chicken mini honey biscuits from Chick-fil-A. I can't be dogmatic about it, but don't be surprised 
when you get into heaven and the manna is given to you and you say thank you and they say my pleasure. of the Lord. He said, sit down, let's feed them. And they come to him, and depending on what translation you have, in Mark 8, 4, they either say how or they say where. How? How are we going to feed all these people? Where are we going to get enough food to feed all these people? And it's a great question. Except two chapters earlier in Mark 6. Instead of 4,000 people, there were 5,000 people. And instead of having seven loaves, they had five loaves. And Jesus fed the multitude. More that were present that day than in Mark 8, with less bread than was present in Mark 8. And their question to the one who has already done the miraculous is where? How? And how often do I do that in my own life? I've seen God come uh, upon and, and heal and help time and time again, showing me that he knows what I need, meeting my cares and my concerns only to return in the next situation to say, well, I don't know. This seems like it might be too big for you this time. Where? How? Where's my deliverance going to come from? Where's my help going to come from? How is this going to play out? Oh, Lord, what is going to happen here? And I abandon my cross, and I go back to my bucket, and I get back to my sandcastles where I think I'm in control, asking the question, how and where, to a Mark 6 God who's already done it. Where are we looking and we fail to realize that he's a compassionate God that knows exactly what we need and will meet it in the exact timing, in the exact way that he has planned because he gets all the glory. Now, in the, the larger section of this scripture, 25 through 32, we see that to be unchained from the sandcastles of anxiety is to be unchained by the inclination of your mind. See, the inclination of our mind is anxiety, it's worry, it's fear, because the inclination of our fallen nature is that I've got to be the one to take care of it. Now, listen, this is what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we shouldn't be concerned about things. God's not saying don't be concerned about, don't be concerned about your finances, don't be concerned about your children, don't be concerned about your marriage, don't be concerned about the loss around. It's not that we just got to go through a Ned Flanders life, haddly doodly do neighbor. That's not what he's calling us to. The difference between concern and anxiety is trust in God. Anxiety is a scheme of the enemy to now put the impetus back on yourself to deal with the needs that are around you. I've got to figure out a way. I've got to do something. I doubt that God can do it. Concern is I come to Jesus with it. Lord, I don't know what to do with this, but I, I place it in your hands. I don't know how we're going to feed this multitude. I got seven pieces of bread, but I'm going to put it in your hands. It's not that we're not called to be concerned. We ought to be concerned. 
But we ought to not let that concern drive us to an anxiety and a worry and a fear that says it's up to me to figure it out because God doesn't know what he's doing. Unchained by the inclination of our mind. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Anytime we allow fear to enter into our, to, to our lives to the point that we doubt God and we run from him, we are walking in the flesh, not in the spirit. Because God says that he has given us not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Genesis 4 is the first time that, uh, that we read about, uh, or excuse me, Gen Genesis 3 is where, where we read about fear entering into the world. They sinned against God. They doubted his provision. They doubted his goodness. They doubted his love. They doubted his power. They doubted his ability. And so they ate from the tree that they were commanded not to so that they could become like God, so that they could start to fashion the sand castles the way that they want to. And then God comes and it says they were afraid. And so they ran and they hid from him. They walk in the flesh that says, in my own power, in my own strength. But in light of God's majesty and truth, they ran and they hid. That's not the spirit that God sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross to indwell us with. Anxiety is senseless. That, that's what Jesus will ultimately say. He, he says anxiety is senseless. There's no sense to the anxiety of running and getting bucket after bucket to maintain these sandcastles. He says at the end of verse 25, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And the answer is yes. It's, it's more than food. It's more than clothing. True abundant life is to live for the kingdom of God, not for the sandcastles of flesh. It's senseless. It's senseless to devote so much time and energy and worry into maintaining these sandcastles when there is a kingdom where the king sits upon the throne as king of kings and lord of lords, and his kingdom won't be shaken. His foundation is firm. It's senseless to worry about these sandcastles to the point that it consumes us to where we doubt God's provision, we doubt God's power, we doubt God's love, and we look inwardly instead of upwardly. It's senseless. But not only that, anxiety is needless. There's no need to worry. There's no need to be, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there's no need for it. Look at what he says, starting in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So it's an argument from the lesser to the greater. If, if God cares about the birds, if he cares about the flowers of the field, you, who has his Holy Spirit indwelling in, who Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for, will he not take care of you? It's needless. Now, think about this. Just a few verses ago, he taught them how to pray. 
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those that trespass against us. We just prayed, give us this day our daily bread and turn right around and say, well, I don't know if he's going to do it. Where's it going to come from? Abandoning the cross right back to the bucket. Do we trust him to move in and through the prayers of his people? They might not answer them the way that we exactly want or in the timing that we want. But he hears us and is mindful of us. And that alone should just, we should all be in amazement. Who is God that you would be mindful of me? Yet he is, and he cares about every detail of our lives. But the inclination of our mind is to go back to the bucket and abandon the cross. To exert energy and resources and abilities on sandcastles instead of the kingdom that cannot be shaken. And because this world is so transient and because these sandcastles fall in on themselves, it produces in us this worry because it's now up to us as opposed to God. When we live for his kingdom, listen, it's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. He's building his church. The gates of hell will never overcome it. I can rest in the finished work of Jesus and the power of the cross as opposed to the bucket to maintain those sandcastles. Anxiety is useless. It says, who of you in worry can even add a moment to your life? Who can add a, a hair to your head? Some of y'all been trying. I see it. <laughs> I say, just let it go. Just let it, let it go. <laughs> just let it go. You can't. It's useless. What, what, what is the worry? What is the anxiety? What does it produce? It's useless. You, get, you worrying and being filled with anxiety is not going to add another moment to your life. It's not going to produce anything in your life of even any substance whatsoever. Anxiety is senseless. It's needless. It's useless. So what is the, what is the answer? Well, he tells us in verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Listen, I say all this as a worrier. I'm a worrier. And as I've studied this, God has just shown me time and time again, am I worthy to be trusted? I worry about this church. I worry about my kids. I worry about am I being a a good enough husband to my wife? I worry about our nation. And I feel overwhelmed because when I'm worrying and that anxiety starts to build up where, I mean, it is just like sensory overload and I don't know where to turn. I don't know what to do. It's because I'm looking inwardly instead of upwardly. I've abandoned the cross back from my bucket. I've told Jesus, 
move over. I got to figure this out. Like, get out of the, like, you got to get out of the seat because I got, I got to sit up on the throne and I've got to figure it out. I've got to put myself in the position. I got to get my false scepter. I got to get my false crown. I got to sit upon my false throne in front of my false little sandcastle. And I've got to figure out how to deal with all this. And isn't that what religion tells us? Isn't that what it told Judas? When Judas came with the 30 pieces of silver, he said, I've betrayed an innocent man. They said, what is that to us? Go and deal with it yourself. Go and see to it yourself. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, come to me. Jesus doesn't say, go deal with it yourself. He says, come to me. There's the freedom from anxiety. As hard as that is, that's the answer to our anxiety, trust in Jesus. Well, I don't know. It, it looks insurmountable. I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I turn it over to you. You said, come to me. I'm coming to you. Lastly, we're unchained by the intentionality of our days, by the intentionality of our days. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. See, far too often we're like the Israelites in the wilderness who are trying to gather up manna for multiple days. They're like, well, I'm just going to knock it all out at once. I'm going to get seven days worth of this chicken biscuit goodness. And what happened? On the next day, it spoiled. And it was worm infested. God said, no, no, no. The reason why is because I want you to rely upon me each and every day of each and every morning. Because if not, you're relying upon yourself. How smart I was to kind of figure this out, and I'll just get a week's worth, and I'll just go out one time and gather it up, and now I'm dependent upon myself and my own wisdom. And oftentimes, that's the worms and the rot of the manna is the worms and the rot of our anxiety because we're trying to, we're not going to the Lord each day. We're not throwing ourselves down at his feet each day to say, Lord, I need you to move. I need you to move in my life. So we need to be intentional with our days. Firstly, intentionally live each day in the simplicity of the gospel of Christ. If you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are saved. Secured in the right hand of God Almighty, you've been given an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade, a robe of righteousness so that no moth can eat. Your name has been written in the book of life, and nothing can destroy that. The simplicity of the gospel. I am loved by God. How many of you in this room this morning doubt that God truly loves you? Look at the cross. What are you looking at? Look at the author and the perfecter of your faith. He loves you. He died for you. He cares for you, is concerned for you. Live in the simplicity of the gospel that says he didn't just like shoots and ladders. I placed my faith and now he puts me back at the start and it's up to me to make my way back up to glory. He said, no, 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 no. It's, I am the founder and the perfecter. It starts with me. It ends with me. I'm everything in between. I'm the alpha and the omega. I'm the beginning and I'm the end. I love you. I have safely secured you for eternity. Now stop running to those buckets and pick up your cross. Deny yourself and follow me. 
Intentionally live each day in the simplicity of the gospel of Christ. Secondly, intentionally live each day in the specificity of the Great Commission. I think oftentimes we get so worried because it's like, Lord, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Telling people the gospel. Making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them what uh, Christ had taught the disciples and what the disciples entrusted to, to individuals to teach other individuals. Live in the specificity of the Great Commission. Why are we here? Why didn't the moment we place our faith and trust in Jesus, he just bring us home with him? Because he has a mission for us. Not missions, mission. The Great Commission. Thirdly, intentionally live each day in the prolificity or the fruitfulness of the great commandment. You see, we try to find joy and peace and acceptance and love from the world when true fruitfulness is love God and love people. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, listen, we gave the Israelites 10. We're all like them. We can't even keep one. Can, can I just give you two? Can you do two? And we fail at that miserably. But that's the fruitfulness of life. Love God and love your neighbor. Let us commit to that. Lastly, intentionally live each day in the authenticity of God's character. He is who he says he is. He will do what he says he will do. He has done what he said he will do. Live each day in the authenticity of his character. He knows what you need. He's for you, not against you. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's omnibenevolent. He is truth. He is righteousness. He is holy. He is good. Live each day not doubting those things. That's what the enemy wants us to do. He wants us to doubt the character of God. And when we face situations, we start to look around, abandoning God where, how, before you know it, that bucket's back in your hand. You're back to the sea, running to and from those sand castles, worrying, am I doing enough to prevent them from caving in? And Christ says, I didn't call you to that. I didn't call you to that exhausted way of life. I called you to the simplicity of the gospel, the specificity of the great commission, the prolificity of the great commandment. And I called you to the authenticity of my character. Let's take a moment just to examine what's in our hands. The bucket or the cross. Has the sun set you free? Or you change that sand castle of your kingdom built by your hands and your might? Or through faith in Jesus Christ, 
Are you now one of his children robed in righteousness? Name written in the book of life. Given a treasure that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept and guarded in heaven by God. The difference is faith in self and faith in Christ. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me?